Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Schmerz Day, January 3rd, 2022. Happy New Year. On the show today, news, listener questions, and in our main segment, Jim Hill tells us what it took to finally seal the deal to get the construction of the original Big Thunder Mountain Railroad at Disneyland Park back in February of 1977. Let's get started by bringing in the man who says that platypuses lay eggs and produce milk, so they're a portable source of omelets. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? Are you familiar with the, the piece that Robin Williams used to use in his stand-up deck about platypuses? Uh, I can't. No, I'm not actually familiar with that one, Jim. Go ahead. I'll use less adult language. But if you look at the platypus, you have to think that the, the Lord above may be imbibed. I mean, let's take a beaver and put a duck spills on it. It's a mammal, but it lay eggs. It's like, hey, Darwin, kiss my butt. <laughs> <laughs> now we're all going to go look up that particular clip on YouTube, right? There we go. There we go. That's awesome. What's the term? Platypuses and uh, another species belong in the class of mammals that lay eggs and give milk. It's a very small class. I think it's another, it's an anteater that does oh. it as well, but apparently they're not the only ones. Anyway, and, and our listeners are now screaming into the radio with the, uh, with the, with the name for it is. So I apologize. Some Len, oh, come on. A, a class. That, these things were homeschooled. Okay. That's the <laughs> only thing that, that makes any sense at all. <laughs> all right. All right. All right, Jim, let's do a quick shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers, Katie Piet, Mark Bosco, and Scott Suyama. And longtime subscribers, EJ Aconite, Michael Midalicki, and Whimsy for You. Jim, these are the hardworking cast members who have to unlock all of the doors every morning that serve as portals at the Monsters, Inc. Mike and Sully to the Rescue Ride in Disney California Adventure. They say it's a hard job, but they can wear their hazmat suits at Halloween, and Roz makes a fantastic cranberry tart for the company's holiday parties. True story. I did not know. We, we rarely talk about DCA, but I think we should involve that more. This is true. All right, Jim, let's do the news. Folks, the Disney Dish News is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Disney Dish podcast. For a worry-free travel experience every time, book online at storybookdestinations.com. Jim, we are down to three rooms available now on our first ever Disney Dish cruise in 2022. We're calling this the Disney Dish on the Disney Wish, September 23rd to the 26th. The three rooms we have available at whatever price Disney gave us, we have one ocean view and two balcony rooms Available. If you guys are interested in booking, they will probably be gone within a week. Uh, storybookdestinations.com slash Disney Dish. You have a room, right? Because I, I've received notice I that. literally checked that before I took this in. <laughs> okay. And that says that I have an inside stateroom, but she's willing to give it up. Okay. If, I, uh, if a listener wants to have it, and I would be uh, more than happy sleeping on deck with a blanket. I see my accommodations may be down in the bilge. I've, I've just been handed a raft. Deck A? What is Deck A? <laughs> I thought they were all numbered. What is this? <laughs> you're below the water level. <laughs> That's right. <sighs> Jim, we okay. can't we can't give you a window because you're below below the surface <laughs> of the ocean. <laughs> oh dear. Okay. <laughs> all right, Jim. Every show should begin with a round of self congratulations. On a recent Bandcamp exclusive show where we walked around Epcot, you noted that the new Anna and Elsa appearance outside the Summer Hoose was likely to be the way that we do character meet and greets going forward. And lo and behold, that has come to pass. Uh, Disney has set up stanchions now outside of Summer Hoose where you can get in line to meet the princesses in a socially distant manner outside of the Summer Hoose. But it looks good. 
does, it does. And especially, you know, when you, you factor in that Anna and Elsa really are like Elvis and his, you know, his brother Clevis at this point among Disney celebrities. It's, it's nice sure. that they've, they've set up a way to do this. And I like that they did it during the winter because it's a movie called Frozen. Mm-hmm. That being said, it is 85 degrees all this weekend <laughs> in <laughs> celebration. So <laughs> I don't know what, how they're going to deal with that. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, A for effort, right? Mm-hmm. All right, Jim, on to listener questions. Uh, here's one from Kyle who says, I'm the designated Disney planner in our family. Jim, I think all of our listeners know what that feels like. I set the bar pretty high a couple of years ago by renting DVC points and having the family have plenty of room to spread out. We did two two two-bedroom villas. Well, they'd like to go again over Thanksgiving 2022, but with everything going on, they don't want to be locked into renting DVC points. Any suggestions on condos or multi-room suites? We are open to staying off-site. We'll have seven adults and one child that will be five. And we're looking for at least four rooms with a gathering space. Ah, so this is interesting, Kyle, because I've, the last couple of years for the unofficial guide, the thing I've worked on is family suites outside of Walt Disney World, because I think this is the one area where Disney's not price competitive. Mm-hmm. So uh, page 228 of the uh, latest unofficial guide lists six options. I'm going to go through four of them here. The first one I like is, and this is going to be a surprise to some people, Margaritaville, Orlando. Jim, have you seen this? No, no, but I remember on our last trip, you talking with great enthusiasm about this place, and I deliberately put it on my list for the next trip because of how highly you were talking about this place. Yeah, so the thing I like there aren't the hotel rooms, but the cottages. Mm -hmm. Um, So first thing I like about Margaritaville, Orlando, is that it's right off of Black Lake Road, which is a road that runs perpendicular and then parallel to 192, Mm -hmm. which means you can go directly from Margaritaville to Disney property through Black Lake Road and then Sherbeth Road mm-hmm. without ever having to get on 192. And you end up at the Animal Kingdom Resort area. One caveat there, just yep. pick your time of day because uh, you know, there's a lot of cast members that know that way in and out using, as well. Using the same road, right. Yeah. And there's also, um, th- by the way, did you see that there's a new resort being built right outside of Disney property at the Animal Kingdom Lodge? Oh, no, I did not. There's that, so the Animal Kingdom Lodge is the is the extreme end of one corner of Disney's property, and mm-hmm. across the street from that, and you know uh, behind a wall of trees, another resort is being built. But you should it shouldn't be visible from Animal Kingdom Lodge. And the part the way that the Animal Kingdom Lodge is situated, there's a parking lot that'll be between that and then the trees too. So shouldn't be any um, any interference with Animal Kingdom Lodge. But yeah, it's it's interesting to note that that area right around the edge, the perimeter of uh, Disney properties now being built up. Anyway, mm-hmm. so Margaritaville, Orlando, Kyle, I went back and looked for the week of Thanksgiving, a four-bedroom uh, condo, sorry, a four-bedroom, uh, it's a vacation home. It's a it's a standalone home. Sleeps 10 is about $4,300 all in for the week of Thanksgiving. That gets you one king bed, two queens, and two twins, plus I believe the uh, sofa turns into a sleeper. So I figure $1,000 a week per bedroom. There's also a six-bedroom vacation home, which is $6,000 all in. That sleeps, I believe, 14 people. Jim, I have included a photo of the pool in our show notes for you. Ooh, okay. And the thing I like about these, I've actually stayed in these in in one of these before. I've stayed in a mm-hmm. four-bedroom. It's very well appointed for what it is. It, mm-hmm. uh, if you've ever rented a home at a beach, yeah, like a beach home or a vacation, this is like a level up from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything's clean. Everything worked. Water pressure was good. I, I thought it was a decent value for it. The other places that I would check 
would be the Marriott Cypress Harbor and Marriott Imperial Palms, which have two bedroom villas that are within a few dollars of that over the course of the day. Like, I don't think you're going to save a thousand dollars by staying there, but you might save like a hundred dollars, but that would be two, two bedroom rooms. I'm not sure they're quite as nice, but uh, maybe you can get a deal. Or if you're already a Marriott uh, timeshare member, that might help. Um, last thing I would check would be uh, the Club Wyndham Cypress Palms, Kyle, which gets really high ratings from our readers. Again, they've got uh, two bedroom villas. They're going to be about the same price. So that's what I would suggest. But but check out Margaritaville first. I think that's that would be my number one option there. Got it. Okay. All right, here's a question from Martin. Actually, it's more of a comment. He says, a couple of weeks ago, you guys did something remarkable when you combined two of my favorite things, Disney culture and Stephen Sondheim music. I haven't been this excited since Disney produced Sondheim's Into the Woods. Anyway, I thought you both might enjoy a little trivia that will blend Disney and Sondheim in an uncanny way. Think back to the Disney film, The Ugly Dotson. You may recall the film starred Dean Jones and Suzanne Plachette, who were Disney regulars, and featured in a relatively small role Mako. There's a scene in the latter third of the film where Dean Jones and Mako in the same shot. And while watching it last year, I thought how wonderfully strange that within 10 years, both of them would be playing lead roles on Broadway in Sondheim musicals. Dean Jones would play Bobby in the landmark company and Mako would play the reciter in the magnificent Pacific overtures. Whatever Sondheim may have written regarding fast pass, it couldn't have surpassed this sample from Pacific Overtures. Jim, do you want to do this one? <laughs> Let's see. Okay. The British feel our latest ceiling version of immorality. The element of precedent imperial are, no, are neutrality. We're rather vexed you giving extraterritoriality. We insist that you offer this to every nationality. <laughs> this is from a great number from Pacific Overtures, where it's five different countries are represented on stage. America has just left. Commodore Perry's gone. And then suddenly here's England, here's France and Russia. And they're all looking for treaties just like the Americans got. And you would think this can't possibly be something that will be entertaining or funny. But seriously, go chase this down. Second act of Pacific Overtures. I also want to point out just here, he's talking about folks who have done Sondheim who are, are in the Disney wheelhouse, so to speak. Angela Lansbury played Eglantine Price in 1971 in Bed Knobs and Broomsticks. 79, she's on Broadway as Mrs. Lovett in Sweeney Todd, which I, I got to see at the Euros Theater and one of my favorite things in life. I went to go see it like five more times in touring companies. And then you know, Disney lets her back in to be the, the teapot, Mrs. Mrs. Potts. So think about it. It's like, well, okay, so you cut up people and you serve them in meat pies, but okay, you can be our cuddly <laughs> our cuddly little teapot. Come, come back, Angela. All is forgiven. <laughs> I love that that Sondheim put the word extraterritoriality oh. in a song. <laughs> No, seriously, Len, you have to chase that, particularly for the end part where it's, oh, detente, detente, you give us everything we want. <laughs> it's, it's this great song, just absolutely killer right. song. So, All right, we'll have to, uh, we'll have to listen to that. All mm-hmm. right, last uh, listener question from Christy, mm-hmm. who says, in the latest Disney survey I got, they asked about our annual household income. And Jim, you and I have talked about this, how Disney uh, represents the bottom half of American households with mm-hmm. two survey questions, but the top four percent with like four questions on the survey. And Christy goes on to say, but then they asked how much we have in our investable assets in the United States, including our retirement accounts, life insurance, stocks, savings, and so on. Jim, I like how they specified in the United States because as we all know, money in the Cayman Islands spends differently. But what, <laughs> what, 
possible reason is there for asking that question? I guess it's for people who whose income doesn't primarily come from working, but who comes from investments. Just in the past week or so, we have begun to see Bob Chapek putting his new people in place. And didn't we see a new CFO or did they hang on to the old CFO? I forget. I, I believe we I believe we extended the CFO. Okay. So it's not a question of Christine McCarthy's office saying, hey, how deep does the money go? What what else yeah. could we tap into? <laughs> Which professional sports franchises do you or your family own? Yeah. Please list them here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but but at the same time, the fact that this is something that they do want to start building reference on is a little concerning. It's a bit much. I mean, the next, the next question is going to be, uh, what is the uh, – uh, please outline the key to your uh, internal safe and mm. let us know the <laughs> times at which you will not be home. Remember, you know, Bob Iger doesn't officially go out the door to what, January 2nd? I mean, he's been doing the the very last round of his hail and farewell pieces. Uh, he, he, yeah, he's actually uh, he's actually uh, I think in Orlando right now as we're recording this. Okay, <laughs> he's doing his last uh, last official trip to uh, to work. Mm -hmm. And we've seen Bob Chapek moving his team in place. We're going to have to wait six or eight months to see, you know, because he's literally waiting for, for, you know, being respectful and letting Iger walk out of the building. And um, it's just going to be interesting to see where we go next. But, but yeah, this is a little concerning that these are the sorts of questions that are getting asked now. Because, again, Disney always builds surveys with a goal in mind. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Jim tells us about the construction of the original Big Thunder Mountain Railroad at Disneyland Park. We'll be right back. It's the new year, people, a time when we all set goals for ourselves, plan on finally getting around to those tasks that we've been putting off for weeks, maybe even months. And in my case, I am loath to admit this, but I suffer from too many subscription syndrome. When you're an entertainment writer and for work, you need to watch shows on Disney Plus and Netflix and Paramount Plus and Hulu. It's kind of a necessary evil. But that said, one of my goals for 2022 is to thin the herd, which is where Truebill comes in. Truebill is a new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions you don't need, want, or have simply forgotten about. I know, I know. A lot of companies make it hard to cancel subscriptions. That's what's great about Truebill. They make this process incredibly simple. Just link your accounts and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in one tap. Your Truebill concierge is there when you need them to cancel unwanted subscriptions so you don't have to. Now let me tell you folks, making use of this app can be incredibly lucrative. The average user saves $720 a year by using Truebill. Don't believe me? Listen to what Truebill user Becca L. had to say. Hands down, the best financial app I discovered. In my first week, I opened up $187 in unused reoccurring subscriptions. I'm obsessed. I never want to manage finances without Truebill again. So if you'd like to join the more than 2 million Truebill members who are taking back financial control, go to the App Store or Google Play today and download Truebill today for free. Don't fall for subscription scams. Start canceling today with Truebill.com slash Disney Dish. Go right now. Truebill.com slash Disney Dish. It could save you thousands a year. Can I ask you a personal question? Is there something that's preventing you from achieving your goals? Some issue that perhaps is interfering with your happiness? 
Well, I want you to start living a happier life today, which is why I'd like to now direct your attention to BetterHelp, which is not self-help, nor is it a crisis hotline, but rather BetterHelp is professional counseling, which then allows you to connect with your own licensed professional therapist in a safe and private online environment. After BetterHelp has assessed your needs and then matched you with the correct counselor, you two can start communicating in under 24 hours. BetterHelp is so convenient. You can get a message to this licensed professional therapist anytime, and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions with your counselor. And all of this without having to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room, which is really a plus these days, if you know what I mean. Better yet, BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. Plus, it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. This service is available to clients worldwide, and BetterHelp has access to a broad range of expertise, which may not be available in many areas. Licensed professional counselors who specialize in depression, stress, anxiety, grief, even family conflicts. BetterHelp is convenient, professional, and affordable, and anything you share is confidential. If you'd like 2022 to be the year that you start living a happier life, well, why not join the over 1 million people who are taking charge of their mental health by visiting BetterHelp.com. As a listener to this podcast, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting BetterHelp.com slash DisneyDish. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash DisneyDish. All right, Jim, there's a tie-in here to the original Big Thunder Mountain Railroad at Disneyland Park and the railroad at the Magic Kingdom in Walt Disney World, right? Well, yeah. I mean, look, the Magic Kingdom's railroad has been closed since December 3rd, 2018. And yep. are you hearing the same things that they're looking to open it up, you know, soonish. this month? Soonish. Yeah. They've got the, uh, the it looks like they've they've got the raised walkway outlined. Yeah, and once work is completed in the walkway and the canopy entrance for light cycle run, then supposedly finally the train can can get back and running. So, all right, if we're counting and that does in fact happen in January or early February, that's three years and a month since sure. this initially closed to the public. And and let's be fair, not all of this is Disney's fault. I, you know, the pandemic kept the Florida parks closed from sure. March 16th of last year through July 11th, 2020. Kingdom and Animal Kingdom opened on the 11th of that month, and then Epcot and Hollywood Suitors opened on July 15th. So again, four months, not their fault. But Disney enthusiasts are still, if you go online, it's like, this sort of delay wouldn't have happened back in Walt's day. And it's like, <laughs> um, okay, let me remind you folks about Disney's Chicken Plantation Restaurant. I think we've talked about this, Len. This was, this was uh, something that Swift operated at the park from when it opened in 55, and it, it closed in on January 8th, 1962, because Walt had intended to build an entire new Orleans-themed land at his family fun park. And ah, it's never going to work. <laughs> yes. Uh, but, but yeah, uh, Disneyland's construction team flattens that whole chunk of territory and they they get as far as digging the cellar hole for rogues gallery which you remember Wait, this is 62 62 pirates doesn't open for 
many years after this, right? 67. Okay, go ahead. Okay. Is that the story? Go ahead, Jim. There we go. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. They get as far as digging the cellar hole for Rogue's Gallery, which was going to be the original walkthrough rather than ride-through pirates. But then Walt gets distracted by rideshows and attractions for the 64-65 World's Fair and likewise land search for Project Florida. And so all work on Disneyland's New Orleans Square effectively stops in early 63. In fact, Bruce Gordon, lovely, late, imaginary, great Disney historian, he, he loved to tell the story about when he was a kid who wanted to be Imagineer. Uh, he'd mm-hmm. climb up to the very top of the Swiss Family Treehouse, which had only just opened in November of 62. And he peered down into the rogues gallery cellar hole. You know, you know, he'd go to the park like every two weeks or so. And I was like, okay, let me show, show me progress and nothing. You know, I mean, just bare steel, okay. you know, mm. and it was a year and a half before anything happened. And construction doesn't get away underway again till January of 65. And with wow. the land opening in July of 66, and then the ride opening in March of 67. So you got to assume if the internet had existed back in the early 90s, 1960s, you know, again, using the same power, you know, the technology that powered the Polaris missiles. You'd still have Disneyland enthusiasts. It's been over three years since the chicken plantation closed. When, when is he going to get around, uh, Walt going to get around to finishing Rogue's Gallery? And, and we don't, let's not even talk about the Haunted Mansion. Oh, geez. The exterior was completed late 62, early 63. Doesn't open till six years and seven months later. Yeah. So again, there's an old English proverb, folks, that say all things come to those who wait and light cycle run. Near is what Len and I are being told. Are, are you hearing the same thing? Possibly holiday 22, more likely early 2023 or everything you- I've everything I've heard says uh, is it depends and it depends mm-hmm. largely on how much management is willing to prioritize it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the uh, the big thing right now. There is a certain uh, follically challenged gentleman who is about to take over the company. Yeah. You might want to make the new boss happy. Jim, what I've heard was mm-hmm. that it's um, it's going to come down to a management priority. We know that Guardians of the Galaxy is opening summer of 2022, mm-hmm. which is sometime between the third week of June and what the third week of September. If they, it looks like they need something for the fall, mm-hmm. I think Tron could be ready by then, depending on how far out bookings look. Or they could just say, look, we've got nothing for 2023, mm-hmm. and so we're going to open it in 2023. I kind of think that's the more likely scenario, but but it's, it's a management decision here. Yeah. You're not wrong. It, it, it is definitely a management decision. The one little wrinkle, and I, I heard this on the tail of the survey you read last week about the 50th anniversary. And mm. the thinking in-house is, if the 50th anniversary continues to underperform the way it has been, and in fact, yeah. that there's really strong eyeballing of the holiday numbers and, and that sort of thing. Which are not super solid right now. So, the yeah. thinking is that they honestly may have no choice. Yes, the numbers will get goosed by opening Guardians, but in order to really fill all of the resorts on property and stay competitive, they may have to effectively bring Tron Lifecycle Coaster online for holiday 2022 and be promoting it heavily in, in the fall to get people to come in. I mean, let's think about this. Let's think about this financially. Anything mm-hmm. that happens after October first, twenty twenty-two, will be in the twenty twenty-three fiscal year. Mm-hmm. So, from Disney's fiscal perspective, right? Mm-hmm. Why would they not open it on October one to get a full fiscal year of benefit from the ride? Why would you wait until the middle of twenty twenty-three to open it 
Unless they're mm-hmm. saying, look, we've got absolutely nothing to run for ads in 2023. We need this, right? But why would you go, why would you delay it a quarter? Because you know, let's say the uh, um, you know first quarter of Disney's 2023 fiscal year begins October 1. Mm-hmm. It ends um, you know at the end of December. So if they open it in January, it would still be the same fiscal year, but they would just have lost a quarter of the attendance and revenue boost that would come from opening a new ride. That's you. You're hearing exactly what I've been. Hearing. So, it, so yeah. So for me, it's either going to be it's either going to open October first or sometime in 2023. Those are the only two dates I think that mm-hmm. make sense. But again, at the same time, you are you know beholden to if you get tripped up by construction. And remember, you know we've been dealing with you know, the rising price of steel and and trouble with getting construction workers because they've left the the Central Florida area. I mean, but face it. Throw rides are tough, they're, especially when they're built partially inside of the berm. And which brings us now to the original Big Thunder Mountain, which opened uh, September of 1979. It opened on the Sunday of that year's long Labor Day weekend. Monday, September 3rd was the actual Labor Day. So they got a toehold in summer. Okay. But as for the attraction that previously occupied this spot, Mine Train Through Nature's Wonderland, it made its last trip to the Painted Desert and rolled by those <sighs> tilting rocks and Old Unfaithful on January 2nd, 1977. I got to say, Jim, this is the one attraction that I regret not seeing. Adventures Through Inner Space, mm-hmm. I can, you know, I'm fine with that. There are a couple of old things too, but man, Mine Train Through Nature's Wonderland looks to be such a classic Frontierland attraction. It's the one thing I regret not seeing. I will have to dig out when my family went to Disneyland in the summer of 77. Uh, my dad with his little 16 millimeter camera. It's a surprising amount of footage on that attraction, but I think that was largely because it was outdoors and you you had the early, early primitive animatronics that you could see from the train. So it, in a weird sort of way, it's, it's very well documented largely because of that reason. Because if you went indoors and did something like Pirates or, or Mansion, the lighting just mm-hmm. wasn't in your favor. It wasn't but, there, right. Yeah. Okay, so this closes January 2nd, mm-hmm. 1977. So After what, a 17 years, years ago? Yep, yeah. a 17-year okay. run. And then construction immediately began on Big Thunder Mountain, right? Not exactly. <laughs> Go ahead. Disney's board of directors actually had to be convinced that the company's Anaheim theme park actually needed another thrill ride. This was kind of a hard sell at the time because this is January of 77 and Disneyland's version of Space Mountain hasn't even opened at this point. In fact, we are now still four months out from when that Tomorrowland thrill ride will finally open on May 27th, 77. And given that the, the board had already given Disneyland $18 million to build Space Mountain. There's now some real hesitancy among board members four months out from this attraction that they don't know. You know, I mean, yeah, okay, the one in Florida opened in January 7075 and is doing great business, but doesn't necessarily translate. You know, this is still a company, you know, the board is still smarting from you were the same people who told us we, you know, big uh, Country Bear was going to do so well. We needed to be build two theaters out here in California. And, and that thing's a dud. And you're now asking us for an initial $17 million to build a throw ride for Frontierland. And by the way, uh, inflation calculation, $18 million in today's money, Len, is... $82.2 million, and whereas $17 million is $77.9 million. So, Holy cow. But here's the thing. The, the Imagineers have to go to the board and say, look, you don't understand. We now, as Disneyland, 
face some serious competition in the Southern California tourism market. In fact, Magic Mountain opened Revolution, the first modern roller coaster with a vertical loop, May 4th, 76. All right, so Disneyland literally is still is already behind the times. That, that by the time Space Mountain opens in May of 77, giving the park its first new thrill ride in 18 years, Len? You know, Matterhorn had opened back in June of 59. So it's like, yeah, that will give you something to promote in 77 and 78. But what are we doing in 79? So if we're going to stay competitive with the Magic Mountains of the world, we need to start working on our next throw ride, even before the Anaheim version of Space Mountain opens in May. Yeah, of I mean, this is the pipeline, right? This is the thing we all know, right? But the board, now, but it was new back then. It was new back in the seventies. No, no, absolutely. And the board still wasn't convinced. So, on February 9th, nineteen seventy-seven, WDI does something unusual. Now, this year is the very first year that Disney's annual shareholders meeting is held down at the Orange County Convention Center in Anaheim. Years previously, Disney had rented the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion. And and those of you who remember watching the Academy Awards with Billy Crystal, that's where it was held in, you know, the 80s and the 90s, uh, you know, up in L.A. But anyway, the meeting's supposed to be held at the convention center at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, which, by the way, is just across the Disneyland parking lot on the other side Mm -hmm. of Catella. Shareholders who've come down are given tickets to go into Disneyland in the morning with the idea that, okay, then come across the street in the afternoon and attend the meeting. And what the Imagineers decided to do, because the board members were going to come down and stay in the Disneyland Hotel uh, the previous night. So, you know, it's just a short, you know, they're not driving down the five to get to the meeting. So the morning of, of February 9th, the Imagineering sends a fleet of vans over to the hotel. They collect the board. They drive them around backstage at Disneyland and eventually, you know, bring them out at Casa del Fritos, where they serve them breakfast and then walk them outside to overlook the old mine train through nature's wonderland load and unload area and proceed to tell them about, okay, look, I understand we're asking for $17 million, but let me explain to you what we're going to do to keep that cost down. Like, take, for example, look at Rainbow Ridge over here, the little town. We're going to save that and recycle that so we don't even have to build that set. That's already here. And we're going to go through and cherry pick out individual animatronics and and, and mm-hmm. ride elements and recycle those. And this is kind of a, a gamble, you know, to do an on-site pitch like this, but Especially with the board now having to go across the street and listen to the shareholders complain about, you know, why are you spending money on movies like the Shaggy DA? That's dumb. But two days later, (gasps) you know, the board meets again on the Burbank lot to act on the items that had actually been brought up at the shareholders meeting in Anaheim. And at that time, construction of Big Thunder Mountain for Disneyland is officially greenlit is finally, finally, the funds to, you know, to build this new thrill ride are approved. So three weeks after that, maintenance salvage begins. And when I say maintenance salvage, this is when literally the Imagineers walking the length of the 17-year-old Frontierland attraction looking for things they can potentially yeah. save or recycle. Like yellow bows around the trees that they want to save. And they, the well, and speaking like of which, the horticulture department is walking through looking at a lot of the full-size trees that were part hmm. of Nature's Wonderland. And same thing, they're going through and, okay, take that, and they would box them up and take them backstage and then look for new places around Disneyland to plant them. What made the construction of... Big Thunder Mountain kind of challenging at Mm -hmm. Disneyland was 
In February of that year, news broke that for the first time since 1958, Disneyland was going to switch over in the late winter, early spring to a seven-day-a-week operation schedule. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. They hadn't done that, you know, as far back as 55. As soon as the first summer was completed, Disneyland closed on Mondays, and it wasn't till after the winter of 57 that they like, you know, they made one more try at doing a seven-day-a-week schedule during the off-season, and it's like, all right, forget it. Off-season, we're a strictly Wednesday-to-Sunday operation. And the other thing, they also, uh, they had seen a surge in attendance that, you know, was like, look, we have to address this because they had just introduced. In fact, what was interesting, I, I actually started pursuing this story because a number of people wrote in after your great Paul Castle being thrown off the Matterhorn story. <laughs> but they wanted to know about, well, you know, you mentioned that one of the, the, the perks of going to this hard ticket was, you know, the unlimited use of Disneyland, of the, the right shows and attraction. Well, when did that first become available to the public? And it's like, well, it's sort of became available to the public in January of that year. Oh, go ahead, good. Yeah, with the the Magic Kingdom for the fir- Magic Kingdom Club, which was, you know, the corporate uh groups, the the military members who could, you know, yeah. buy special discounted tickets to the Disneyland I, Park. I was a member of the Magic Kingdom Club back in the day. Yeah. As was I, as was I. But yeah, these were the first people who were offered the passport to Disneyland, which you had to be a valid member, but you could get a full day at Disneyland with unlimited use of attractions. But I always love how they, they included in parentheses, except the shooting galleries. Stop asking. We're not going to let you do that. <laughs> which you know. is ironic because it's free now. <laughs> well, that's what I mean. I, I, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing for America. That, you know, the, the excitement about it's as a kid sitting there and shooting little lead pellets at targets is, is no every, longer. What, every single time I walk by it, Jim, even to this day, I, I still play the French airline shooting arcade. Jimmy, you mentioned the, the tourism thing, though, and mm. wasn't it what year was airline deregulation um, oh. done in, in, it was in the 70s, it was the late 70s, right, in the United States. I wonder I, if that if that played into this, because if you're getting people from, if you're getting increased vacationers from mm. western the western part of Canada, from Portland, from Seattle and Phoenix, that tells me that airfare is cheap, because no one's driving from, I mean, that's true. All right. I, I, I wonder did, if, if airline deregulation played into this. I, I did not think of that. I'll have to do some research. But but yeah, that that so the one-two punch of they were getting this new surge of, of folks from Portland, Seattle, and as you mentioned, mm. Western Canada, coupled with the fact that you know, they were seeing the surge in Magic Kingdom Club members who were anxious to take advantage of of the uh the, pass, the passport. Uh, passport yeah. Which yeah. Uh, the thing that fascinates me is that on June 1st, that this was only offered from like what, January 5th through March 31st of 77. As of June 1st, they, they literally made everybody go back to the ticket books. So it's like one of these things where, was this a test run to see what would happen inside the park with, you know, a whole bunch of people who were on passports? Because, I mean, I don't need to tell you with, you know, your unofficial guide, you know, hat on, that that would change how people made their decisions. It wasn't a question of looking well, in the stay- book. Yeah. yeah, you'd stay much longer. And I, I mean, this is one of those things where I would love to talk to the people who were around at Disney when they made the switchover, mm-hmm. just to see how the the logistics of visiting changed once people realized they could stay in the park all day. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Disneyland Park now open seven days a week through much of the spring. Early week on on Big Thunder Mountain Railroad now starts to fall behind a schedule, and you know just mm-hmm. you know again the more things change, the more things stay the same. Line. And by the way, <laughs> the first two original versions of Big Thunder were supposed to be built in parallel. The construction schedule. In Florida, which in theory should have been easier because think about it, Big Thunder in Florida, it's not in the middle of the park. Like, you know, the Disneyland version is it was actually off to the side on a previously undeveloped piece of territory, but it still manages to slip 14 months behind schedule. That one doesn't open until November 15th, 1980. I wonder if the fact that Big Thunder in the Magic Kingdom is bordered on one side by the Rivers of America and the other by the railroad. I wonder if that. Hmm. So now we circle back once again to, to what's going on with Tron Lifecycle Run. Tell you what, let me do some research to see if I, I can find out how long the train was shut down for. Oh, uh, great question. Yeah. Yeah. Back then for this. But, but yeah, I, I again, you know, just that's, I, I think that's the thing that always makes me a little crazy about Disney theme park enthusiasts. It's like, I want it now. It's like, well, it's steel, it's concrete. And more to the point, yeah, there is this thing called the, the envelope of protection and safety. And, you know, you really don't want the steel beams falling on the people in the train. They get cranky when that happens. So yeah, it's a, they, they tend to buy less t-shirts in the gift shop. Yeah. There you go. There you well, go. That's, that's, uh, that's good to know. I'm really excited to see uh, what they decide to come up with for, uh, for Tron, because like I said, and you and I have talked about this on the show, but like, mm-hmm. There's really nothing in the pipeline for 2023 if Tron opens in 2022. And even beyond that, I mean, what's 2024 and 2025? And I expect to hear that soon. Yep. I was also poking at a story I did to the effect of when you look at what the first six months or so of when Michael Eisner was on the job, what he greenlit, and Bob Iger, the first six months when he was on the job, what he greenlit. Uh, yeah. Like I said, it's it's going to be interesting to see once Mr. Chapek is, is, has fully assumed the driver's seat, what we're going to see start to get announced at the Disney parks. So stand when's by, the, folks. When's the, when's the next big uh, Disney meeting where they, would, they might announce those things? I mean, there's the quarterly shareholder meetings. But when's yeah. the next de- destination D or D23? That's not till fall of uh, yeah. 2022, right? In fact, they were just announcing the ticket sales date for the destination D, uh, the expo. Bob Iger and Xenia Muka were the two main drivers behind D23. You know, again, affinity organization for the Walt Disney Company. I'm hearing that Bob Chapek isn't necessarily as big as an enthusiast. In fact, it, it's worth noting that the most recent D23 event, the the one that was held, what, the weekend after we did our, our uh, Disney Dish Live thing, Chapek opted out of that. He actually didn't go down to speak at that event. Again, with Iger and, and Xenia out the door, D23 loses its champion. Um, or champions, and just might be interesting to see what happens with that. So how it evolves, yeah. And and if you're a fan of the D23 Expo, make sure to catch this new one in 2022 because I'm I'm not entirely convinced there will be one in 2024. So hmm. just saying, interesting. We'll see what happens. Just saying. So 
All right, folks, that's going to do it for the Disney Dish show today. Please head on over to DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com, where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes, including Jim and I walking around all four Walt Disney World theme parks live. On next week's show, we have a special guest, data storyteller Becky Gandelon, explains how to make the most of Genie Plus reservations at all four Walt Disney World theme parks. You know there's going to be a ton of data on those. You can find more of Jim at jimhillmedia.com and more of me, Len, at touringplans.com. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who'll be interpreting One Direction's 2013 landmark album, Midnight Memories, at Winter Jam 2022 on Saturday, January 30th, starting at 6 p.m. at the Oakwood Center on the campus of Eastern Michigan University in beautiful downtown Ypsilanti, Michigan. Jim, I think that's the first time we've ever given a shout out to Ypsilanti, but it won't be the last. <laughs> Very, very <laughs> right. Great name. <laughs> While Aaron's doing that, please go on to iTunes and rate our show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show. Okay, 42. Good.